Hello, industrial marketing friends from Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency. This is the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. We're your hosts, Brendan and Aaron. Last week on Industrial Marketing Live, we had a great conversation with Graco Worldwide product managers, Jeff Schaefer and Dan Percott. Turns out product launches are a lot more in depth than we planned. So we brought them back on the podcast to help finish off the discussion. Jeff and Dan, glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us again. Pleasure. Yeah. Everybody again. So last week in IML, we talked about the first two phases product launch. Phase one, idea generation and validation, and then phase two, development and testing. So today, I want to talk to you about phase three, launch preparation, and then phase four, execution and evaluation. And we're kind of focusing this conversation around your guys' new product, the Quantum Electric Double Diaphragm Pump. Uh, but you guys have a lot of experience like we talked about in product launches. So you know, wherever this conversation goes, let's, let's follow it. So uh, let's just jump into talking about launch preparation. Uh, and so I think this is like where we can really start digging into the marketing strategy, right? So we've already like, we've kind of figured out what the product is. We've talked to customers. Uh, we've done some positioning work, talked to distributors, but now we need to like put like a real marketing strategy together to inform the rest of your distribution network and also your end users on the product. So for the quantum pump, how did you guys go about creating a marketing strategy? And was it different than what you've done in the past for other product launches? I'm going to just real quick, I'm going to let Jeff speak a little bit to how the how we did this a little bit differently, I guess, because he's been through this a, a few times more than me, um, especially the way Graco traditionally had done it. Yeah, you know, one of the big things, and Brennan, you were here for part of this, right, when we had some of these conversations, is I think a lot of manufacturing companies, engineering companies, that kind of stuff, get really focused on F&Bs and the product. Yes. Right. We talk about how great the product is and how cool it is. And it has all these really great features that are going to be really good for you. Right. And what gets lost is how it helps the end user. Right. Why they need it, what the application is that they're going to use it in, uh, what applications we can direct our channel to. Right. Like when, when you're going out and calling on customers and working with customers, what types of people are you looking for to talk to right so we try to take that approach on quantum a little bit more so than we've done in the past right um we, we talk a lot about product we're very proud of our products uh, but trying to give the selling team out there a direction of okay these markets and these types of customers and these job titles are going to be interested in quantum because it helps them automate their facility. It helps them deal with labor shortages. It saves money from an operational standpoint, right? And reduces energy consumption. Not that it's you've got all these cool F and Bs. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing that we try to change with quantum. Yeah. And I think yeah, you I... were you were really a part of that. Yeah. When we when we started looking at that, and you brought that um, that mindset to us as well, that just simply making something cool doesn't sell it very well. Right. So I'll I would look back to the first two products that we really worked on with that, and you were part of that was the Husky twenty one fifty LP, yep, and the the Solotech expansion, where we went completely away from these big flyers and brochures with all this technical data and simply so many bullets. Like, exactly like a front back flyer that simply said this is the pump this is what it does and this is what it will do for you yep um and that really kind of changed the strategy leading into quantum and you know jeff said it pretty succinctly that that focusing on the customer based on a on not just an industry but a persona within that industry really kind of focused our efforts and our distribution. We talked during uh, IML about really, really drilling this down to core distribution. Our distributors responded really well to that because I think historically we have not set them up for success from a where to go perspective with our product. They've all acknowledged how great and how what a high quality product Graco produces and that resonates with them, but it was where in the heck do we go with this thing? Yeah. Graco, you don't really help us like that. Yeah. So to really focus on that in a pre-launch way, um, again, identifying like those top eight or 10 markets that we were really going to attack out of the gate, set the stage for really what turned out to be an, uh, an exceptionally successful pre-launch and, and pre-sale of yeah. this pumping system. Yeah, that's the one thing that I 
since I've been a gorilla, I've really started to pick up to, you know, like going through like product, like learning product marketing and, you know, reading like April Dunford's positioning book. It's just, yeah, what is that, that thing that really sets you apart, right? So what is that one or two features that really makes your product different from the competition? So to know that information, and I think you guys do a really good job of this at Graco. Uh, especially in your division with you two is like just talking to your customers, right? Like you guys travel all the time. You are in, you've probably been in like countless factories across the world, right? So you have a pretty good idea of like the pain points that your target customer is having and what the outcomes of a good product can do for them. So I think you guys do a really good job of like doing that voice of customer and understanding your, your customers. And then, yeah, I think we just kind of took that information back from your guys in the field and we just kind of figured out like, this is the two things that are really going to matter to them, right? It's the business case of ROI over time and reducing your energy usage and then being a good product for the end user in terms of like just working conditions, right? It's a lot quieter. So I think, you know, you kind of, we kind of had like probably three differentiated values when we were selling quantum and then we backed that up with the features, right? Like, cause we had the, the revolutionary electric motor, uh, you know, the same style of pump as the air pumps that they'd used in the past. Right. So we like we backed up those values with a couple of different features, but we didn't give them the laundry list and we didn't give them the table of specifications. Right. Like we just this is what this pump is different and this is what it's going to do for you. And it seems like that led to good success for you guys. Yeah. And I think what's important that a lot of people forget is everybody wants to tell everybody everything up front so that they can get them hooked on one of them thing, one of the things. But what's to your point, what's worked really well is you need to get the initial interest, right? Like getting people down the funnel. And those two items that you really hit on is what's really resonating with people to get interested in the product. And there's always a follow-up conversation to right. learn that the noise is important or the automation is important, right? And at that point, you can dig a little deeper, but you really have to know what you need to get in front of them right away to pique their interest and want to learn more. Yeah, And I think too, when we we being, you know, kind of an engineering and manufacturing company first and pumps almost are secondary to that is we always have the technical expertise. Yeah. So it's okay to make that secondary Yeah. where that was always the primary focus. Mm -hmm. So we go out and we identify these industries and these personas and really what can we do for that person? If we get into a room with engineers, we can have those conversations. Right. But like Jeff said, that's secondary. We still have to, we, we have to get you to invite us in first and trying to invite you in by talking about the rotor and stator and ball screw on a quantum doesn't get you invited anywhere. Right. Mm. So, so, okay. Before quantum, what did a typical like marketing plan look like for a product launch? How would you guys typically go to market with something? Again, I'd probably have to defer to Jeff a little bit. He's run a lot more large projects than I going back. I mean, we were all focused on the product, right? I mean, so we'd go out and we'd focus on, you know, training distributors on the product, right? And making sure they're comfortable with the product and they know the technical and the service side of the product. And then we'd give it to them and, you know, you say, okay, here you go. And yep. then you get a lot of questions about, okay, well, who should I go talk to? And what, you know, where does this, where do I win with this, right? And what markets make sense? And, you know, we had that information so we could talk them through it, uh, but we probably didn't do a very good job of packaging it and giving it to them like in a, in a nice format so we can hand it out to everybody. Um, and, you know, sometimes you do a product line extension or you get into a product where, you know, we do a lot in food and beverage, right? Well, it's pretty easy to launch a product in food and beverage and people know where to go because it's all the customers that we're currently in and we extend the product line. Um, but for something like this where you can go anywhere with it, you really need to know the market verticals that you're going to win in. Right. And that's what's important. So our guys, so the distributors don't go out and try to sell this widget, quantum, whatever it is, to some guy who's got three pumps on the street that are way too small. And that's what this entire market is. You know, don't even don't waste your time. Right. So and I think what Jeff said is is right too, is you know, we did a we always did a really good job of understanding where our pumps fit, who the customer was. Maybe we didn't always identify that that end user persona real well, but we knew the industries that we played in. But historically, because it was so product focused, when we would get to working with our distributors from a marketing perspective and even into, say, sales training, we ne we didn't ever really differentiate between sales training and technical training. So we didn't always identify who was in our training room very well. Mm. You know, we would we would be doing teardown training and service training with everyone. Yeah, and you know, probably seventy percent of the time, you were sitting in front of salespeople. They aren't technical. They yeah. don't care. 
And, and so what ends up happening is you, you've kind of lost them halfway through your training. And I think with quantum in particular, we did a much better job, even when it came time to detailing uh, marketing um, training presentations. If we were going here, we took these, these four training aids. If we went here, we took these four. And we got a much better response, I think, this time around than we have in the past. I like that. Okay, so it seemed like, you know, the the traditional go to market for for you guys in the process division at Graco is really channel based, right? Like we want to equip our sales distribution to go out and market this product for us real is for the most part. And it seems like Quantum still pretty much did that, but it was a lot more focused in on providing them the right tools and the right targets to go out and sell Quantum. Yeah, I would also say that, I mean, and you've seen this and you mentioned this before, we tried with Quantum to be a lot more active on our own as well, right? I think we recognize that the channel is going to carry the message part of the way. Right. Um, but our channel, and like many manufacturers' channels, sells many different things, right? And so they don't wake up every day and think Graco. They wake up every day and think about everything, right? And they're trying to grow their business. And so we have spent a lot more time um, LinkedIn primarily being one of the platforms that we're really pushing hard to get the message out from a Graco perspective and not wait for our end user to get out there, um, which I think has worked very well, right? I mean, we had a lot of, have had a lot of traction on LinkedIn. Uh, Quantum has, I mean, you follow Graco and everything. Quantum's been making the rounds pretty good. Um, and it's helped. We've, I've been reached out to multiple times for people that have seen it on LinkedIn and have been interested. Dan, I know you have, and some of our salespeople have. We're trying to get our salespeople more engaged on social media platforms and everything to get the word out. Struggle even when I was there. <laughs> it was a struggle. Uh, you know, it is like, a struggle. It seemed like they're on the road and they don't like, I, I think it takes a long time for them to see the value and what having a, a strong social media presence can have on the way that they, they do business. Yeah. And we've got some, we've got some team members that have really embraced it. You know, you're, you're familiar with our, our sales team and Dan Scott in particular, he yeah. posts a lot yeah, and he reposts a lot and, and he, he understands that it's more than just liking it. If you interact with it, with a comment, you, it, you know, it changes the algorithm and things like that. And I think Jeff's actually do better. I think there's, there's more people actively following sanitary products. Mm. Um, but even on the industrial side, if we put something out there about quantum, especially being either at a trade show or with a live demo. You know, we're generating 15 to 1800 impressions on a post yeah. and that's unheard of for us. I mean, if we used to get a dozen, we would be high-fiving in the office. Right. <laughs> um, are you guys putting any, uh, any paid dollars behind LinkedIn or has it all just been organic? We have done quite a bit of paid. In fact, running through the, the quantum, uh, marketing, you know, the, the steps that we laid out, we just in the last week stopped doing paid LinkedIn. Okay. We'll probably pick it up again, but we were doing it basically weekly. Yep. And that'll probably be cut down to monthly at this point. And we're going to, we're going to try to do it organically. Okay. But going back to kind of the launch prep, right? When we did paid, it was a specific, you know, job title market mm -hmm. focus that we were really kind of targeting. We knew the people that were going to be interested in it. And that's where we were kind of targeting those dollars. So. And, and targeting end users, right? Instead of distribution, right? Targeting Which I think that was like we never did at Graco before, right? It was very much focused on distribution and then like trying to increase that mind share, right? Like if you think about the catalog analogy you made at IML, right? It's just like just trying to like keep some of that bandwidth for Graco so right. that when they go on the road and they go into facilities, they're thinking pumps instead of, you know, some other thing that they're trying to sell. Yep. Right. And I mean, I think that's. That's obviously a departure for us. You know, whenever somebody asks me how Graco goes to goes to market, I use the automotive industry analogy. You know, we're GM and our distributor network is the dealer. So, of course, we're going to focus on the dealer. But Quantum has changed that considerably, like Jeff said, because we we had to do something different because the the distributor was only going to take this so far. Right. We we had to we had to focus our efforts on the end user as well. Yeah, and Ford and GM very frequently educates their end users about right. their new offerings, right? To get right. them in uh, to right. the dealership, right? So it's kind of like that, you know, trying to pull end users into distribution a little bit too. So you're, you're going both ways, totally. um, which I think is smart. Aaron, do you have any questions on launch prep from your end? Yeah, so you said you focus on end users more than you ever have before. Did that alter the type of content that you were prepping uh, for your launch? 
Yeah, definitely. Because being we were looking at the end users and we alluded to it a little bit is that they don't respond to F and B just for the sake of F and B. Because when we look at it from a Graco perspective, we want to highlight the technology. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't resonate with when, when you're when you're rough. Plus money and investment into the technology. So it's like, yeah, we want to talk about because that's what you're Correct. excited about. But you're you're not the customer. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And that's been a real struggle for at least for me. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a technology guy. Yeah. So to sit at my desk and I just like we were talking about before IML, I've got all these parts of quantum pumps. I think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But no, nobody wants to hear about it. So somebody really like it, but (laughs) right. We really had to go to just focusing on that. Maybe that, that energy consumption piece. We had to go to that. Look at that operational flexibility we have and look at the ability, especially, you know, being this launch came on the heels of, of COVID when Mm -hmm. a lot of manufacturers understood they could run a plant with half the people. Mm -hmm. So we gave them flexibility from a personnel perspective as well that they could tie this into automation. So those were really the three things that we focused on going to market. And it it resonated more with end users than us talking about how great the ball screw is. Yeah. So is it more kind of like educational content versus before it sounds like it was a lot of like spec sheets or like product flyers? Definitely. And especially from an energy consumption perspective, a lot of our... We talked a little bit during IML about quantum kind of being, we're buffalo hunting with this. We're elephant hunting. We're not small game hunting for uh, customers. All of our big customers have sustainability goals. They have mandates out there, whether it's a a, a corporation like Sherwin-Williams Paint Manufacturing or Ford to cut X amount of energy consumption by 2030. We have a tool in the toolbox that will help them do that. And they didn't know that there was an opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. So educating them on that piece in particular really brought them to us in a way they never had before. Did you see your distribution go to market differently for quantum versus what they've done in the past? I would love to say yes, <laughs> but our core distribution for the most part, they're ve- it's a very mature market. It's very mature distributorships. And it was we were pulling them along yeah it, it this was something very different from them in the industrial space um at least in the industrial pumping space because we were all kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. and once we sold them on the fact that look at what we are doing and you best come along for the ride we will provide you with materials we will support you on the, from social media from google paid search and things like that so that we know people are searching for the right things and we will make sure that you have that information, but you have to come along this way. Mm. If you think going out and talking, I understand that you're an engineering firm, but if you go out and and bury them in technology, you've already lost. There's a handful that tried. For, right? we have, and I we think are still trying. Yeah, that tried to do something different. And I think that recognize there's a better way to get in front of end users and get the word out on this stuff. Um, but a lot of them, I mean, it's a, even on the end user side right i mean brendan you are in industrial marketing it's not uh end user base that makes change quickly right right so um and our channel doesn't make change quickly and all that kind of stuff so it's it's been a challenge to kind of get people to think outside the box a little bit that's for sure yeah i mean about that a little bit during the the iml and that when you talk about industrial processes that's where the change has to happen now it's not lights anymore they didn't lights changing lights was easy because the worst thing that happened is we can work in the dark. When you start messing with their process, they are so reluctant to change because you know what? The pump I have today works just fine. And if what you put in there doesn't, now it's a downtime thing. Right. So that that resistance is tricky. And I would imagine that some of your other clients and some of the other manufacturers that you work with would tell you a very similar story. Yeah, they definitely would. Um, and it takes a lot like and that's the one thing that we kind of preach here a lot, too, is right. We have to educate the end users uh, to build awareness that we have a solution, build trust that we can actually make your process better than it is today and then show proof that we did it, you know, using case studies and testimonials that we already did it for other people and it works. Right. So like those kind of three things are really important in, in your marketing plan. 
Um, one thing I, I, on launch prep, the other thing I'm curious about is just like, how did you and your sales team work together to get ready for launch? Uh, you know, it was it really similar to how you operated in the past or did you like, was there any, like any differences that you did going into the quantum launch? I think at least from, from logistically speaking, you know, historically what we would do is we would bring large groups of people back to Minneapolis. That doesn't always work real well because what you find when you when you have a beautiful facility like we do, and we're very proud of it, and we want people here. But what tends to happen when you organize a large distributor type event, say you you schedule it for 50 people, you tend to get the wrong people. Yeah. You tend to get distributor principals, people who treat it as a three-day vacation. Right. And you don't get you don't get their best. So what we did this time is we coordinated with our sales team to really go out and look at where we could go regionally, keep the groups relatively small, let's call it 20 or less, and really make sure we had the right people. Yeah. Whether whether we were going to go do sales training or tech training, we were more than willing to do anything they wanted, but we wanted to make sure the right people were in the room. And a lot of times, again, historically, we didn't necessarily focus on that. So you may have even had a mix of people. So then you're kind of piecemealing training together. So it's only relevant for half of them. And it it just, I think with Quantum, we really did a good job. And at least from my perspective, and I, I think I can speak for Jeff and he can chime in, the feedback we got after training events for Quantum was phenomenal. It It was, you know, people coming up and saying, this is a home run. This is exactly what we expected. This is what we want. And by doing it that way, it really worked out well. And I will also add, we did something different this this time around too. Jeff and I went and traveled to Asia first to get it honed in. Mm. It's typically we started in North America. And you know, North America is still the we're it's still the biggest chunk of our business, especially with new product. So it worked really well to go make our mistakes in other regions <laughs> and then come back with the training dialed in exactly right. And I mean. I know for me at least, and I'm Jeff can chime in. By the time I got back to North America, I could do this in my sleep, and that's not even a joke. It 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 we, by that time you'd rehearsed it 40 times. So you probably do it in your sleep sometimes. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous <laughs> how much it, it just you you don't even need the presentations anymore, quite frankly. Uh oh, sh- go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say the other thing, I mean, all of what Dan said was accurate, but the other big thing that we did differently in prepping for launch is typically when we launch, we have uh, an existing channel that's already signed up with Graco. And we, when we launch a product, everybody gets it. And with Quantum, we were more selective, right? We wanted to have the right partners selling it. We want to have the right partners that had access to it. We didn't want, you know, 500 outlets. We only wanted 50, right? Whatever number it was. So our sales team, worked within their territory to make sure that they had, you know, the right people who could sell it and service it and were willing to bring in inventory and do all that kind of stuff, which I think has helped us quite a bit because it's limited it's it's narrowed the focus for us, right? To really kind of focus on the right channel partners um and get them up to speed and helped our sales team focus as well. So yeah, that's a really good observation and point too, because we spent a lot of time pre-launch making sure that our sales team went out and basically handpicked all of these distributors and it gave them some ownership too because you got you have to pick the right partners and and you're everybody was is responsible for a number in their territory and not just an overall sales number but a volume of quantum pumps that need to be sold and to give them some ownership of their territory and kind of run it as their own business to say look these are the distributors that are going to bring me home. And if they don't, maybe that was on me too for picking the wrong partner. Let's move into talking about launch execution. Um, how did how did the launch go? Like, what did you guys do to actually like execute a product launch? So what we did is obviously it goes back to what Jeff was saying as far as identifying core distributors. And really then, of course, you know, we're putting together our our collateral, all of our, our presentation materials and so on. And then it was a matter of strategically determining where we were going to go. And like I said, for us, we decided to go overseas first. 
we actually did Europe first, and then we went and did Asia Pacific and uh, Australia. Jeff did Southeast Asia. And really getting out there in front of the, the distributors and pushing this out there to them, especially trying to train them where to focus their efforts. Because again, historically, that wasn't what we had done. And really taking testimonials that we had, really leveraging our field trials as well, because we did something different with Quantum too. Typically, if we launch a product, I don't know, Jeff, when you did Santa Force 2.0, how much field trial, how many field trial partners did you have? Maybe a dozen? That, right? You get a handful. Because um, it's just hard to get into a process and interrupt a process for a trial pump, right? So uh, we've tried to do a lot more with Quantum. We had something in the neighborhood of 80 pumps out with 60 partners. And so what we did is we really leveraged that as almost production uh, success stories. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, we didn't have any. There was no production. So we took those, we pieced those together into testimonials and into application successes and really leveraged that in our launch that this is where you'll be successful because we already have been successful here. That was, again, something different to being more customer focused, customer facing for our distributors to go and get that business right out of the gate. And I think too, they really found success in that because they were able to take those materials, take those successes that we had and Regardless of where we are in the world, we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're pumping liquid of some sort. So we were able to give them some strategic avenues to go down and say, take these pieces of literature, take these pieces of of testimonial and go attack this market. And they saw success very quickly, not having to go sell one pump at a time. They were getting orders for five, six, eight, ten pumps at a time. And that really helped and and really allowed us to focus our launch in that way. And I think, especially again, going overseas and, and really tuning that in, we, we started learning what was resonating with our distributors and focused more on that as we started moving through it. I mean, we didn't know how this was going to go. At least I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know if this was going to resonate with anybody or not. And so while we had all the materials and all of the assets together, the training kind of morphed as we went along. And I, you know, even on the fly, sitting in my hotel room at night, rearranging and doing different slide decks because, oh, this really resonated with the last group. I'm going to spend 80% of my time on this now. So how did you gauge that? Was there any like sort of data you analyzed to kind of make decisions based on what you were learning in these other markets? Or was it kind of just based on what you were observing in these training sessions? You know, because when we go do this stuff, Aaron, we are really, it's, we'll go for two weeks and you're working every single day. So you're kind of, your days are so full. You don't have a lot of time to analyze anything other than on like anecdotal feedback that you're getting. Our distributors, and I think industrial are, let's say industrial customers in general, they're so well-versed in their industries and they are so mature within their industry you can see in their face what's resonating with them. And when they're engaged with you, you can really s- start to tailor your message to what they're they're engaging and relating with. And that came through loud and clear when we started telling them where to go with these products and where we were where we've been successful. How different was your deck from the start to when you started launching in North America? <laughs> I would say, you know, you know how we can be, and and I'll I'll come back to like when you and I were working on this, Brendan. We had this model in mind where our slide decks were going to be like ten presentations of ten slides or less. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was a great goal, but it kind of morphed a little bit into some some larger presentations. But to answer your question, I want to say if I had a thirty page slide deck, by the time I left Australia probably 20 of them were different than when I started. And and it was just because you found through what what I think we tried to do this time too is I don't like to obviously stand in front of a presentation for four hours. So we we opened it up to conversation a lot more than we probably had in the past. And those conversations really drove what we started presenting, especially by the time we got back to North America. You know, a good example of that, I think, is we talk about energy savings with quantum, right? And when you have energy savings products, you can get 
incentives or rebate money back from the power company. So when we launched, you know, we had done work and we were continuing to work with energy companies and providers and end users thinking that, hey, this is going to be great. They can basically get subsidies on bringing in this technology and help pay for converting. In theory, it's fantastic. But in practice, it's very difficult to actually get that money. Um, So we went out of the gate thinking that we were going to kind of hang our hat on this. And, And don't get me wrong, energy savings is still the primary reason to run quantum but we thought the incentives would kind of help push everything along and they have and it's been all the other benefits of it right so we kind of had this thought process in our head and we started to learn as we go and end users gave us feedback that maybe it wasn't as easy to go down that road and get that money and we said oh okay well maybe we shouldn't you know not that we can't talk about it but maybe we shouldn't be hitting that drum as hard as noise or something else over here that's really seems to be resonating with people and i think too that when you look at it from that incentivized purchase type of situation, if if you have to bring in a third party to validate the, the ROI beyond the cost of the pump, that's just another, that's just adding time to the sales cycle, yeah. which our distributors don't want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to go in, present and demo the pump and sell it. And it, it, we definitely found out when you bring in an engineering firm that can help you validate or even navigate that incentive uh, program, they just add to the cycle. Mm-hmm. And and even we get frustrated. So you can see how easily an end user or a distributor would be frustrated with it when somebody wants to come in and you provide them with a pump and they want to validate that your assumptions are correct and, and your you know all of your claims are correct to the point where you almost want to spin it back 180 degrees and just go back to selling based on ROI that we can prove as opposed to having somebody help you go get money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, And I'm sure, again, that you're working with industrial customers and clients that are playing into this sustainability thing, they would probably say the same. How long would you guys say the launch took from like when you left to go to Europe to when everything was fully launched here in the States? I don't know that I would say it's fully launched right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, when did we, we left for Asia or we did, uh, we did Europe in December, the end of November into December. We did Europe and, or uh, I'm sorry, Asia Pacific in March. And we probably finished up North America maybe two months ago. Okay. You know, so this has been. It's fresh. Yeah. I mean, it for sure, we were a solid six months of, of just uh, launch events. Hmm. Did you do any, um, any, so we, we talked a lot about like really small kind of intimate, in, intimate launches, you know, add distributor facilities did you do any larger events like you know speaking at trade shows or do any digital events like webinars what did your event strategy look like to support this outside of like your small um sales events so with our larger distributors you know some of our our national players that have you know hundreds of branches across the entirety of north america we did a lot of virtual things with them because it's very difficult to get in front of their entire team at one time so, I mean, I would say we did a minimum of 20 to 25 virtual events with, with distributors of that magnitude. Uh, we also did some launch type events with larger customers, like I said, like those Sherwin Williams of the world, like Tyson Foods with Jeff, um, Nestle, and those people that are harder to get in front of because, you know, their time is extra valuable. Um, so if you get an hour or two with them as opposed to a whole day or two days, it's it's easier to do it that way. And with them, the messaging is easier because the messaging for them is how can we save you money right? as opposed to look at this great technology. So we did a lot of that, absolutely, yeah. um, in between travel and things like that. We did a lot of, going back to LinkedIn, we did a couple like uh, video, like launch videos on LinkedIn. Um, we did LinkedIn Live. Right, which is something we did. Um, we are doing some trade focused. Was that um, end user focused? That was end user focused. 
Um, and, you know, I spoke at PAC Expo recently. I know Dan has spoken at um, some coding symposiums and that kind of stuff. So we have tried to be more active from a Graco perspective and just getting the word out on quantum and making sure the end users, you said earlier, the end user needs to know we have a solution. Yeah. Right. Um, that's step one. And we want to try to make sure all the end users in the pump world know that we have this solution. Right. And then once they know about it, then we can start educating on why they need it. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think like Jeff's talking about speaking, um, you know, the response when we speak about this product and what it can do for a user's process is overwhelming. They corner us in the hallways after on the show floors and just want to talk our ear off. So that tells us two things. Number one, what we're communicating is really resonating with them. But number two, we're not doing enough. Yeah. Because they're hearing about us for the first time and we've been doing this for a year. Mm -hmm. So that those two things really speak volumes to me that we have the right solution for a large quantity of end users but still not getting it out there fast enough or in enough volume. So looking back on it all, you know, with the launch being freshly completed, we'll say, uh, what were like some of the, like the things that you uh, would do again in a future launch? And what are some things that you maybe would do differently? I think what did work well was smaller groups in regional settings, uh, traveling to them as opposed to traveling to us. I think right out of the gate, I certainly would have been spending more time focusing on end users and mm -hmm. success stories and things like that, because it resonated loud and clear that all anybody cared about was where do we go? Yeah. Um, I think I still, and this is, you know, this is probably a, a problem for a lot of industrial companies and it certainly is for Graco. Um, quite, we don't advertise enough. There's, I, especially in the, in, the segments where it's hard to quantify that you're getting bang for your buck. You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, you know, Google is easy because there's a lot of metrics that you can get from Google AdWords and things like that. But even let's say digital advertising with these trade pubs and things like we, we don't do enough of it. Yeah. And especially now that we are getting into these trade shows and speaking and the, the message is resonating. It, it just tells, uh, tells me, tells us that. We just aren't doing enough of it. There's not enough recognition that mm. there is a great solution. We have it. And it's still a, dare I say, nobody knows it proposition. Yeah. I mean, you're in this That's all the time, right? With marketing and and dollars and everything, right? And getting to track it. And that's one of the things we struggle with is we know that we need to do more of it. But how do you effectively communicate the ROI of it, right? So... Yeah, I think uh, me and Aaron, uh, we talk about that pretty frequently. Like, how do you like do good measurement and reporting on, you know, digital marketing? Uh, and it can be difficult, uh, especially like if you have a very like ROI focus, like I need to show direct attribution from a LinkedIn ad into a sale. Like that's almost impossible to do. And we're like for uh, most channels. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a tough, uh, tough thing to fix and kind of get your head wrapped around. Um, cool. Aaron, do you have any questions on the launch? Yeah. So now as you're kind of like entering into post-launch, are there any specific marketing activities you're focusing on? Are you trying to advertise more now that you've validated what resonates? I think, you know, from my perspective, I think we've, we've talked to a lot of people. Um, and one of the challenges with diaphragm pumps and getting, you know, down to our end users is you can use this pump anywhere and everywhere. Right. Um, so I think we've, met with many customers and we have an even better idea now as far as what markets are really good for this pump and where we can be successful. And one of the things we're working on right now is trying to dial those in and narrow them down so we can have a really kind of focused approach this next year with our channel and with our sales team to say, okay, we've been talking about this for a year now. We know that these five markets are really good. So you know, let's go out and find all of the customers in this space and go tell them about quantum and the product right and really making sure that we know where we win right don't worry about the other stuff yeah and i think also it's it's leveraging our website as well as our distribution networks website and their social presence with assets that they can push out to their customers yeah the that's one of the things in our channel has repeatedly told us over the years not just with this launch but with others give us content Mm -hmm. We will 
take whatever content you have and push it to our, you know, a lot of our distributors have newsletters that they put out monthly. Um, A lot of our distributors have really good websites and they like to put tech tips out or sales tips out to their, their channel and, and their customers. And we need to do more of that. They, they clamor for it. Um, Generally speaking, I think especially I'll say the industrial pumping space because I don't know everyone that you guys work with, but industrial pump manufacturers are terrible at that. <laughs> we didn't, if you if you go to a pump distributor's website, it's just product. Yeah, there's nothing on there to say this is who uses it. This is where we should go. This is where we've been successful, and we really want to try to get that out there. If you looked at if you follow Graco on LinkedIn and potentially any of our competitors, it's actually pretty funny because we're all very much the same. Yeah. Um, Sandpiper, PSG Dover, um, and a lot of our competitors, they only post in response to what we do. You know, if, if you see a bunch of their stuff, it's usually on the heels of something that we've posted. So we really, we really feel that we're kind of leading that charge already, and this is the time to strike. Yeah. is when nobody's really doing it. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure our dis- distribution has everything they need in order to increase that presence. We can't do it alone. Yeah, We, we just can't. The, we, don't, we don't have a large enough team. We don't have enough people. On the content side, too, I think one of the things that we're realizing that you guys can probably agree with, Brendan, is I think one of the issues we run into is we believe every piece of content needs to be unique, mm. right? But when you put something out, there's no way you get it in front of everybody the first time. So I've realized, I think we've realized that, you know, from a content perspective, if we have something that's really good, we can say the same thing five, six, seven times in maybe different ways. And it's going to get in front of different people. Just because you're saying the same thing doesn't mean it's not beneficial. So don't be afraid to reuse, repurpose, retool content that's already out there to give you more content. Um, it's not bad, right? So right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And if if anybody takes anything away from this, that might be the one thing <laughs> is when we say something, whether it's a content piece, a white paper, what have you, we believe, okay, we already said that. We need to move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not how it works at all. I mean, we we've really pushed out some good content and there's a lot of value to it. And like Jeff said, pushing it out six, seven, ten times, who cares? Yeah. It, it, it's free. And and most of the time, especially these digital publications, they've seen their they've seen their content go from 120 pages two years ago to 60. Yeah. They are dying for content. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I think it's it- every campaign I run, it's always just like, man, I feel like I could always use more content. And you're right. Like it's all like, if you can repurpose, like, yeah, just have that thing, you know, have some likes. Aaron, you and me talked about this on a podcast, what, probably a couple months ago about how to repurpose stuff. Right. So like, yeah, do a podcast or do a webinar and then now we'll cut that thing up into 10 clips and then, Oh, those 10 clips can turn into 10 articles or 10 emails. Like, yeah. And then, you know, what do they say? Like for teachers, right? Like a student needs to hear something like seven to 10 times before they actually hear it. Right. So then you're talking about like when I got like a hundred, you know, put it out a hundred times and you're probably good. Um, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, content is the thing. And I think especially for industrial companies, content can be a huge differentiator. Right. So we talked about like, you know, the quantum pump, the electric motor is your unique differentiator. But then for at, at the Graco level or at, you know, whoever's listening to this, like if your competition is not doing any content, if you're the only company that's doing it, now you have a huge differentiator, right? Like you're providing real value and real education about end users' applications and uses and outcomes. That could be a huge thing for you to set yourself apart from the competition. Right. And I like what you said there too, Brendan, with, you know, you can take something like this, cut it up into, you know, we've been talking for 50 minutes or so. You can cut it up into 10 different little chunks. Yep. And derive a piece of content from from each little chunk because and it's perfect for social yep. because it, I can't tell you the last time on LinkedIn I read an article that said it was a three minute read. <laughs> it says one minute. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean to take a to take a, a two minute clip of this and then have a one or two minute read. I think there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of value there. Totally. Mm. Um. Yeah. What are you guys learning post-launch so far? Like has the, you know, 
starting to work with like inside sales and, you know, getting leads in, has that like kind of changed your thinking about any of any of your marketing plans so far? Have you made any adjustments to your plan uh, now that we're in post-launch or like, or, you know, things you're planning on doing maybe in the next six months? I think, yeah, there's, there's some learnings I think that we can put into, into practice, especially from an inside sales perspective, having people that have the capacity to follow up with our, our channel and our customers is huge now. Yeah. Our sales team doesn't, our outside sales team does not have that time. So being able to follow up, maybe, maybe it was just on a lead, but maybe it was a sale as well. Mm-hmm. How's it going? You know, you know, we talked, you're, we talked earlier about potentially replacing 10 pumps. You've purchased two. Where are we, where are we at? How are you feeling about things? I think that that's affording us a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, we're so, we're so early in post launch. It's probably a little early to tell what we're going to take away from this in its entirety. But, uh, especially with some of the challenges we've had that we've had to work through, you know, we talked about it the other day. This was quite a bit more successful on a pre-sale from a pre-sale perspective than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. And we've we've spent the last, well, going on a year digging out of a production hole. Yeah. And you know, Jeff and I, as you're aware, Brandon, we we wear that hat too. Yeah. So it's been hard to focus on what we probably should be focusing on at this point post-launch when we're still trying to manage that side of it logistically. Totally. But on that point, I think one of the things that we're also doing is trying to make sure people understand, you know, our product is configurable, right? You can mix and match it any which way. Um, but we know that there's configurations that are most popular and that customers are going to use the most, especially in different markets and trying to really get the message out that, hey, these are the items that are going to be available. And this is what you should be pushing from a Graco and a channel perspective. And Mr. End user, you asked for this, but we think this is kind of the best option because you're going to be able to get delivery and support quicker and that kind of stuff. And making sure everybody understands that, you know, there's a part of the product that is, you know, it's just going to streamline everything better for everybody. Right. Um, and, you know, we've been working a lot on that to make sure that everyone through the process understands that, uh, which is yeah, kind of and I- we're getting more traction um, on our factory and also with distributors and everything like that to understand where the where the high volume is and what makes sense. So, and that has definitely been a challenge. Again, you, you hate to sound like a broken record, but in a market as mature as this, people are accustomed to ordering a pump any which way they want. Mm. And I certainly, for one, thought it was going to be easier to push people toward a select group of part numbers that we will always have in stock. They will ship the same day and the orders still come in for one-off build to order stuff that just buries our factory. And I would say at least 80% of the time, if not even more, they could have ordered one of the ones we have in stock. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's possibly, and I've been thinking about this a lot in the last probably 30 days, how to build that almost into a content piece that right. we inventory the most common configurations by these. Mm-hmm. and to make it that much more effective for them because what a hero you are in the industrial space when you as Mr. Distributor you take an order and your manufacturer will ship it that day right now you're not even you know in our industry by and large 2 weeks lead time is acceptable but if you can if you can get people into something that will ship the same day i mean that's just another advantage that you have and we're trying our best to set our our distribution network up internally at Graco to do that, but communicating that message has been difficult too. Yeah. Mm. Aaron, any, uh, any final questions or thoughts here before we wrap this thing up? No, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you've learned a year from now post-launch. <laughs> we'll have to follow along on LinkedIn. I have no more hair to give, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff and Dan, uh, do you guys have any last, uh, last parting thoughts here for, uh, the industrial marketing community? My only thing would be, and we talked about it on the um, first session that we did and this one, but I think the thing that we've hammered home the most is make sure you know the customer. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and we talked about it at all points during the marketing launch, convey, conveying that message to engineering, 
um, messaging the product to them, not just the FMBs, but make sure you understand what resonates with the customer, what's important to them, and then they'll be fine. Yeah, I I would echo that certainly to some degree because, you know, I, I talked about at the end of IML, you know, I thought that really being the subject matter expert was important. But uh, from this perspective and understanding your customer and also understanding that sometimes we we don't view our distributor as our customer. For us at Graco, our distributor is the customer yeah. and, and it's our job to help them find theirs. So it's it's not losing sight of that. And to make sure that your message is tailored to both, mm-hmm. you know, why not only why does the customer want your product, but how to get that mind share of your distributor to go get that customer as well. Oh, that's great, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you get everyone. Uh, we'll put a, a link to your guy, both of your guys's LinkedIn's uh, in the description of this podcast. So people just click on that uh, and you can follow uh, Jeff and Dan and, you know, the quantum journey here over the next uh, year or so. Um, with that being said, everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more from me and Aaron outside of this podcast, uh, you can join us at Industrial Marketing Live, just like Dan and Jeff joined us last week. Uh, just go to industrialmarketinglive.com for our live events. Those happen the first and third Thursdays of every single month at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we also have an Industrial Marketing Live Slack. Uh, so if you want to join us outside of those events, uh, please get in there. DM me and Aaron will get you access to that. So you can be talking about industrial marketing every single day. And then Aaron, uh, let's talk about Industrial Marketing Summit really quick. Yeah, for sure. So that is happening January 31st through February 1st or February 2nd, uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah, you're testing my knowledge off the top of my head. I don't have any notes on this. Um, but this is our live event. Basically, like if you love Industrial Marketing Live and you wish you could see people in person instead of on Zoom, um, this is the place for you, Industrial Marketing Summit. Um, and so if you go to industrialmarketingsummit.com, uh, you can find more information. You can register. I think we still have some early bird tickets left. And we also just announced the speakers on the website. So definitely go check that out. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.